This is Lou Elizondo, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy, and for a look at the latest Sol video news breakdown, Dan, awful fucking intro, but yeah, let's just keep that one, and I'm going to have to mark it explicit now as well. Uh, Dan, <laughs> hi, you all right? Hi, don't worry about marking explicit. It does, doesn't affect anything. Um, so swear as much as you like. And yes, all great here. Thank you. It's been a busy week again. I, I feel like I'm saying that almost every episode now. Yeah, it has been. Um, do you mean UFO-wise or normal-wise? UFO, I mean, normal-wise yeah. too, but... <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I had to dip in and out a lot this week just because I had such a busy week at work, but no one cares about that. So, uh, yeah, but the Sol videos released, and I think that's the big thing we're going to look at here. Um, I wanted to say up front, I've not watched them all. Dan, I believe you have. Rinse through them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are not here to give a step-by-step breakdown of all of the videos this is a kind of look at some of the key points that we have looked at and liked um Mm -hmm. a bit of an overview of who talked what they were about and you know i would recommend people go and watch these themselves and i've got an interesting point dan just on something in just a second i'll bring up but yeah um sol just a reminder dan sol is the kind of think tank brainchild of gary nolan and peter scaffish is it scaffish or scaffish scaffish um i would say scaffish but i'm not 100%. 100%. Yeah. It's the old golf go thing again, isn't it? Um, go, Peter, grush, I'm going to keep changing. Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Gary Nolan and Dr. Peter Scaffish, um, co founded by David Grush. He's listed down as a co founder on the website as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their objective is to legitimize and professionalize the study of UAP, reaching out to other academics, scientists, military professionals to seek ideas and collaborate. Um, so, while, yes, there was a Sol symposium brackets conference whatever you want to call it um it wasn't a ufo conference quote unquote i think they wanted to very much stay away from that um mm-hmm. as much as it was probably the ultimate ufo conference at the end of the day the way, can, <laughs> the way it's kind of shaped uh, shaped up however uh, yeah dan so sol uh, we talked about it several times last year if people want to know a little bit more about when it came out and stuff just search sol foundation in the the links uh, the links on the search bars on youtube or on, on all the audio files and we go through it in a bit more more detail but this is the release of the videos that were filmed back in november i believe it was now dan yeah yeah that's right back in november and the release was delayed a little bit and it's led to all sorts of conspiracy theories in the you know the social media ufo community uh turns out they were just doing a really good job the production on these is phenomenal um probably the best i've seen from a conference in all honesty yeah, um, I would have expected as much. But listen, let's let's go through the, the leadership team at the moment on the website is uh, Gary Nolan, Peter Scaffish, Jonathan Bert is also listed on there as well. Those are the three kind of head honchos, it seems. Uh, you've also got an advisory board, which uh, seems to be really just have been updated the last few days. So it's got Timothy Gallaudet, whom people may have seen. He is the former Navy Admiral who's come on to the fray the last couple of months or so talking mainly about USOs the underwater side of things and yeah. I'll, I'll get back to that. Um, Kevin Knuth who is a scientist, he talked his talk was based on the physics of UAP uh, Diana Pasulka who's been on the podcast and many other podcasts several times wonderful religious historian Jacques Vallée needs no introduction You know, um, I always find it fascinating he was like a, an internet pioneer he was yeah. one of the guys that you know yeah, yet again, we have a character in UAP world who's had some inspiration to make some world-changing technology, you know, that, that comes up in cases again and again that people are inspired by these sightings and experiences. And I'm reading uh, 
dimensions at the moment the the first of ballet's trilogy and and it's so interesting and and there's one point that sticks out to me where he literally describes just breaking down over the utter ungraspability of this whole mystery and he doesn't think it'd be solved in his lifetime so it was great to see him there and to see him feed into you know the dialogue around this do you remember the early days of dial-up internet when your phone would literally dial it a connection and it made that do 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 that was actually Jacques Vallée on a synthesizer. He made that. Yeah. So um, there was no need for it. With Brian yeah. Cox, things can only get Fun, better in style. Up. 100%. <laughs> Fun fact. Uh, Jeffrey Kripo, again, has been on the podcast. Jeffrey's wonderful to listen to him. We'll go through what the talks were in just a second. Uh, Avi Loeb and Beatrice Villaroel. Uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing that properly as well. And she was one of the names that people may be less familiar with. Um, but that's someone who, again, like a few others on here, I think deserves some attention yeah. based on, you know, the, the names and the reason for this overall. Um, Dan, just to run through the the talks. Okay, so there was like 17 talks. I don't know if you know this, but who do you think was the most popular? I would guess... This is based on YouTube. This is based on YouTube views, okay? So- oh, okay. So not in the UFO community based. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. sure. So then I would probably say, I mean, Avi Loeb gets a lot of reviews when he's doing interviews and things like that. Uh, Diana Pasolka, so or Nolan. I would say one of those three: Nolan, Pasolka, or Valet. Sorry, who was the first person I said? Uh, Avi Loeb. Avi Loeb. <laughs> okay, so do you know what? Um, Diana Pasalka and Avi Loeb are two of the lower end views. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Have, so I'll I'll run through. You've got a kind of group of them. Avi Loeb on 16,000. Uh, Beatrice Villarreal, 15,000. Kevin Knuff, 53,000 views. Um, Interesting. I'll go over why I think these are, and it's just opinion. Sure. Uh, Gary Nolan, 67,000. Um, Jacques Vallée, 95k, I think, takes the top spot with 95k. Uh, Diana Pasulka, 21k. Peter Scaffish, 18k. Hal Putoff, 23k. Larry Maguire, 10k. Timothy Gallaudet, uh, 19k. Uh, Jairus Victor Grove, uh, 9.2k. Carl Nell, 38,000. Um, Chris Mellon, 58k. Uh, Aya Whitley, uh, Whiteley, sorry, 9.7k, Paul Thigpen, uh, 15k, Jeff Kripal, 26k, David Grush, closing remarks, 58k. So, oh, wow. um, Valet kind of clear runaway. Yeah. I think there's probably a few reasons for that. Uh, one would be people searching the names. I think Valet is probably a very well searched name. Um, I imagine, though, like Kevin Knuth, for example, I think some do had like to speak to in the podcast. Um, some of his clips went viral through various Twitter posts and whatnot sure. and on Reddit as well. So I think based on some viral traction, that would have drove traffic to those videos too. Um, yeah, sure. And and Kevin's presence, you know, I've seen Kevin present over the years since the establishment of UAPX and SEU and things like that. And every time he presents, he gets more and more concise. And I think this was no exception. Just so, you know, so, so well worked. Um, that, yeah, it was just a really smooth presentation and so much of it was really impactful, I think. I'm going to be really weird here, Dan, and just uh, we'll go over some highlights then um, from what you thought, from what you have seen, what I've thought. I'm going to start with uh, David Grush's closing remarks. So it was the final video. Um, When Dan says about the production being fantastic... Oh, yeah, this one, no. (laughs) Don't watch this one first and then judge the production. This is literally them filming uh, a screen because David Grush is dialing in via uh, like Zoom or something or Skype, yeah. 
yeah and i didn't when when i was watching this one there was another one as well that was a, a good talk but it was similar filming the screen and i was like why you know why didn't we record the zoom call but you know whatever by the by everything i think that'll so be good. yeah i think that'll be one of those learns for them going forward yeah, to go, exactly. do you know what? because they do an incredible job with this especially for a first time you know, event like this uh, and the speakers and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so David Grush, I think the man of last year, the UFO person of last year, that I think we're still very much expecting to make some waves in the coming weeks and months, um, or at least mm-hmm. have led the way for others to come forward in a similar vein. Um, one of his remarks, Dan, I wanted to comment on. So he says, as part of his closing remarks which is a prepared speech and then they take like a, a Q&A he says imagine a place where we no longer need to speculate speculate about our place in the cosmos um, so do you think when he says that this is pure speculation that he's coming from a place of from what he has seen and read that the government does have a good idea of that sort of thing does it go as far as, you know, when you get out there, the universe is teeming with life, they know this, and we are just a little stop along the intergalactic highway type scenario? Or do you think it's a more generalized statement? I'm just curious on that, if it's coming from more knowledge or speculation. What you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it works in two ways, doesn't it? We've heard from Grush that everyone he spoke to in the program uh, called these beings E.T., yeah. However, Grush himself says, I didn't see any evidence of the origin, so I can't say that they're definitely ET. so I use kind of a broader brush, and he talks about ultraterrestrials and everything else. So I, I think that Grush realizes that they probably know more than he knows, but he's just being careful when it comes to using that term and saying it's definitely this. So I think it's a little nod towards some more information being there and that someone knows a lot more they have a lot more hard facts about this um it can be taken in a more general way as well though right like it can't just be you know in the future if we commit to this and we do the research then we won't need to speculate we'll have all the answers it's not just us it's not yeah, just us exactly uh-huh. um but yeah there's something in there it being said by grush who said that thing about et and so on and so forth i i feel like there's a hint that he suspects there's more information there yeah um I've made a note here to ask this as well. So I've put, with disclosure, (laughs) um, I'm going to read my prepared statement. With disclosure, uh, capital D as such, uh, true acknowledgement as such, uh, does society just get healed overnight, right? Or, and there's that, uh, we've discussed that kind of thing before, that there's a blue sky thinking that, oh, aliens are out, folks, that's it, everything's great in the world, okay? Or do you think this new kind of paradigm, quote-unquote, just slots alongside all the conflict war famine politics etc and that tomorrow people are still you know getting up and going on holiday uh going to work you know going through breakups any number of just things that happen in life on a small and a global scale and we just have this thing of but there are also aliens out there i i think it depends on what disclosure is if it's a bunch of craft appear all over the planet a la arrival or independence day then that's an immediate impact and a shift right like we can still drive by them to go to work and things like even that even those but... are two very different scenarios yes exactly yeah. um but 
then at the other end of the scale, you've got a disclosure where it's just, hey, we're not alone. And that's it. You're just living with that fact and there's nothing to be done. You can't see them. We can't gain any technology from them. It doesn't impact our everyday life. You know, we don't have to drive around them because they're landing in the middle of the M4, which is a motorway in the UK for people that aren't from the UK. Um, so yeah, it really, it really depends what that disclosure is. But I, I do think that it would be a lot more boring than people suspect that if the US government came out and just said, hey, we're not alone, that most of the world would shrug. And it would just take us a while to kind of pass that information and really internalize it and live with it. One of the things I loved about the novel of Contact that is in the movie a lot, a little bit, but not a lot, is that you see when you know they find the signal, they build the machine to contact ET. Building the machine takes decades and decades. Mm-hmm. You see the development of society over those decades, knowing they're not alone, but not knowing what it is or what they're building the machine to do and so yeah. on and so forth. And you see the shifts in religion and society and how people are acting and things like that. And it was really interesting. But again, it was written, what, like 30, 40 years ago now, <laughs> like something like mm-hmm. that. Um, and we have the benefit of seeing what happened with COVID and things like that. So it might look a little bit different now. You know, I, I wonder if... Um, Richard Dolan or Bryce Zabel would change the book after disclosure now that they've kind of seen how the world reacts to these events uh, a little bit more. I will say, and this is just like a quick little preview, that the definition of disclosure that is on a slide in Carl Nell's presentation, which I think kind of reflects what the government thinks, uh, the definition of disclosure for them is process of revealing to the public all U.S. government records related to UAP, technology of unknown origin and non-human intelligence, and all equivalent subjects with the specific and sole exclusion of temporarily non-attributed objects, um, enabling the public to become fully informed about history of their government's knowledge and involvement surrounding these topics and complete and timely access to all science and technology gained in furtherance of comprehensive research and development essential to academic enterprise and free market capitalism. There's no guarantee there that we're not alone, right? That disclosure is just, we'll be honest with you. Basically, uh, there's no hint towards what they're going to be telling us. So if that happened, if that disclosure happened and nothing else, the world goes on. You know, it's just a boring tomorrow. Can we jump on to Carl Carl Nell's presentation then? Let's do it. I thought you were going to say jump on Carl Nell then. <laughs> I, I was I like, mean, easy, I'm, we haven't even met yet. I am jumping all over that <laughs> name right now trying to say Carl, Carl Nell. Um, so uh, his uh, talk was called The Shimmer Amendment and Controlled Disclosure, one that had a lot of intrigue around it when he was announced, but also then once it had happened and that slide you mentioned, Dan, leaked out. Um, he's a former Army Reserve officer and I believe he's one that basically came out and support of david grush right, That's right back yeah. then in, yeah, in the, the initial article point. with the debrief it was carmel and jonathan gray from nasic i want to say um mm-hmm. so yeah two two people totally supporting grush yeah um it's an interesting talk because it's one of those that we are now watching in hindsight knowing that the shimmer rounds amendment didn't make it through this is my uh, first note i got so wistful that, watching it yeah i was yeah. like oh what could have been so yeah, I, I mean, let's see if you've put something to me. So I put talks through the Schumann Amendment, which we know was roundly destroyed as it was attempted to pass through. However, it's interesting to hear some of the context behind the language, again, some of which we have covered on the podcast over the last yes. few months. Um, so you're kind of watching it as he breaks down. And to be fair, I don't think I got the, the feeling as he goes through it that he was overly confident this was definitely going through, but it was mm-hmm. like, you know, if it did go through, or here's the benefits of some of this going through and what it could mean. 
Uh, and I think that's a conversation that we heard from a lot of folks over the last couple of weeks as it kind of got destroyed. People realized this wasn't going to go through in its, its full form. But, you know, we threw a lot of shit at the wall and not a lot of it stuck. But, you know, we've got buckets of shit left to throw here, um, which, is, which is a wonderful... It's, it's a really good it. way of putting it, because it's true, yeah. right? Every single year, you know, we've been covering this. How many how many bits of legislation has been? Two years, three years? Three years max, mm-hmm. right? Including this yeah. most recent one. And every single year, the way the language has started isn't the way the language has finished. This year, it's just been yeah. a lot more visible and a lot more noisy, right? I think what we're going to see now is them bring back eminent domain and the review panel. And that last year, it was just too much in one go. You know, like you've got the National Archives stuff. That's a lot of administrative work. That's a lot of pulling different departments into line and kind of getting them new guidance and do this, do that. And, you know, everything like that. I feel like it was all too much for one year. So what you we're going to see now. You turned up on a first date and told her you loved her straight away before you bought her a drink. Perfect analogy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when really, you know, you want to just have a second date and a third date and kind of keep going. So I think what the, we're going to see this year is probably all this stuff that Carl Nell is bringing back in that is now explained properly to a larger audience. Yeah. You, you know, the politicians who are interested, Ogles, Birchard, everyone like that, they can jump on and, and watch the why of the plan um, without requiring to hire a brief and uh, sorry a skiff and go in and be briefed and so on and so forth they can now understand the reasoning behind it and i think we're going to see those things come back as proposed language for this year and maybe we only get one of those two things again this year as they're working it out but it's baby steps right and and they're mm-hmm. kind of figuring out as they go what they need get information back change what they need put it forward and it, it's this constant back and forth so i'm i'm personally excited to, to see what is coming but one of the things i loved about this talk was how much carl emphasized how important what did pass was and he talks about that presumption of declassification and lester would have mentioned this to you as well when when you were talking um where before it was presumed that everything uap was classified now it's assumed that it's being declassified and they have to give a reason to not declassify it. So it's harder to stop the stuff coming out because it takes effort to stop it coming out as opposed to taking effort to get it out. So that's that's a really big shift. And when those start, things start hitting the National Archives, it's going to be really interesting because we're going to have a lot to chew through, right? Whenever we get new data, it's, you know, we'll do an episode. Other people do like five episodes. It kind of gets chewed through and applied to all these different things that we've seen over the past three, four years and compared... Um, so yeah, I, I just think that's, that's probably where we are. And yeah, that's, it was a great thing to pass. And I'm, I'm personally really excited to see what the national archives hold. I remember I, Black Vault found that there was a whole host, I, I think like thousands, tens of thousands of documents. I want to say 12,000, but I'm not sure if I'm pulling in the number out there. So don't quote me on that, but a lot of documents that mention ATIP in the Obama library that's you, you know i think part of the library of congress and that stuff should now go to the national archives so we can see it how many times have we heard there's no paperwork to do with atip turns out there's a lot now we get to see it this is really good and we we've got a year to kind of chew through that and digest it without being distracted by these review panels and eminent domain and people arguing about that stuff you know something i thought there when you mentioned about the declassification stuff and it being harder to keep things classified and then why aren't we getting more cell phone leaks you know when we we heard about pilots being encouraged to film these things with their personal phones as well um when they see uh-huh. them 
again, it's harder to classify that kind of stuff because it's not on a, a sensitive sensor system, for example. Um, obviously, the quality is going to vary wildly. Um, I thought we would have had some more stuff than over the last year. I'm not going to lie. That's one thing I thought we may have had more of. And I feel we're still looking at the gimbal, go fast, and tic-tac. Uh, um, no, oh, God, gimbal. I forgot the name. I was going to say it. <laughs> no, gimbal, go you fast. Gimbal, go fast. Yep. And, oh, God, there are people screaming one? at the, yeah. the podcast players right there. I'll let them scream. <laughs> you said we can square. Fuck them. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so, no, I'm not going to keep doing that. Sorry, folks. Um, any young children listening to this, oh, I apologize. Swearing's uh, not fun. Uh, <laughs> gimbal, go fast. And Gimbal, go fast. I'm I'm looking at it, by the way. Any longer, I've got I've got all those that. Yeah, but videos. do you know what I mean? We've got those three videos, and I still feel like that's the clear. That's clear. Why. clear. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, um, that's still like the best stuff we've had in an official capacity. And you can debate all you want around the stuff that's come out from you know Corbell and Nap that's been looked at and leaked, but those three we're still looking. Going, we're waiting on more. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And and that's the stuff that we've got a chain of custody, right? We know it's from the Department of Defense. The Department of Defense have said, yep, that's real. We can't comment on what it is. There've been theories thrown around, but there seems to be no decision on it so far or no consensus. I'll say like people disagree with the assertion that go fast is going slow and that Tic Tac moves slow and not fast and so on and so forth. So yeah, we're debating those. And it's been interesting to see Arrow put up some cases on their website with videos that look strange and they've investigated and deemed that they're prosaic. That stuff is probably the equivalent, but it's just, it doesn't make a big splash because it's not interesting, right? They're, they turn out to be prosaic. Apart from that, what we are getting is, you know, like the jellyfish video from Cobell, mm-hmm. where it was someone filming a screen with their cell phone. So yeah. maybe that's the removal there. You, you know, I, I imagine if something like that happened, that the, the guidance from the DOD is to classify anything to do with UAP at the moment. And until that's updated, anyone that encounters this stuff is probably just told, don't don't talk about it, this is classified. Yeah. And so the stuff on their phone becomes, you know, like kryptonite and they've just got to give it in and get rid of it and they want nothing to do with it. And occasionally we see a jellyfish video filmed off screen yeah. and things like that. But I'm with you. I'm I'm ready for something more. And this week we had the reveal of Sora from OpenAI, which is like video generation based off text prompts. And six months ago, this stuff looked like crap. And now it looks almost good enough to just make a Pixar movie by giving yeah. it a script. Um, so, you know, what what good are videos now? Yeah, two things then. So first one, just you mentioned Arrow. You know that article that came out in The Sun about Alien Hunter says he was gagged by the <laughs> Pentagon, blah, blah, blah. Love that he was calling Alien Hunter, but yeah. <laughs> I asked Sean Kirkpatrick about that and he said he had no idea where they got that information from. So, so fun fun story. I has asked the guy that I've done a few things at the Sun um, with and he also said he has no idea where they got that information from. So that's both sources there. The, the place yeah, that I published it and Dr. K. Also, when are you talking to Dr. K? You moonlighted on Arrow? Nah, he's just, he's not yet. No, he's not having it yet. <laughs> I, I, I am, I am, I'm persistent. He's still talking to me, but uh, privately. And that's not, you know, dropping names, folks. I just, oh, no, that's he, he DMs people. Yeah, people yeah. DM people. It happens. Plus, plus um, you reach out and you're like, hey, come on. He podcast. pays really and well for like, me oh. to say stuff. He pays so well for me to say nice stuff about him. You, you um, got to start wearing that t shirt you sent you, though, in the hat. Absolutely. He sent me a lovely knitted jumper. Um, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to ask you about the three videos, not to jump back too much, uh, the Tic Tac gimbal or go fast gimbal whatever and the fleer 
have you changed your mind on any of those? And you know, since Arrow did put things up on the website, and th- some of the Arrow videos were very fair. And yeah. you know, even the idea that here's what it does look like when you see an object from behind with an exhaust and da da da, they can look, you know, certain different ways. Have any of those three videos changed for you? I, I think Go Fast is the one that has the biggest question mark for me. The other two, if, if I had to pick, you know, and just to talk to me, it, Go Fast, the one that has the little object in the middle, it's yes. got the little lock on it. Yes. And then it, it, the lock kind of moves and then it appears to shoot off to the side. Uh, it's no. So that's Flea. Go Fast is the one where it's kind of looking down at the ocean and there's white like object, a white dot going really across fast. Across the ocean, screaming. The podcast Whoa, intro. Whoa, got you know, it. Yeah, uh-huh. What the yeah, hell yeah, is yeah. that thing? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's Go Fast. A lot of people have kind of done trigonometry to show that parallax could be in play that makes it look like it's traveling faster. Mm-hmm. That still doesn't explain what kind of object it is, but it just brings no. in a few more possibilities as to what it could be because, you know, yep. if it's moving slow with the wind, it could be a balloon instead of a UFO or something, you know? Yeah. Or in, in fact, sorry, I'm just going to change what I said because Carnell was very clear in, in his presentation when he said things like balloons that they later identify as balloons, they're called temporary non-attributed objects. Just because they don't know what something is, it doesn't make it a UAP. When they can't attribute it, it, that's when it becomes a UAP. So, i.e., we've tried to put all the prosaic things at this. So, in the case of the GoFast, as I was just talking, that would become closer to a temporary non-attributed object. Um, Whereas the other two, they seem to have movements that uh, kind of what we refer to as the five observables, what Lou Elizondo and all those guys refer to as the five observables. There's the gimbal kind of rotates. There's a twist yeah. in it. We've heard so much about the video that comes after and the events around it of you yeah. know, kind of the formation of different objects Cubes and, and this spheres thing and zipping stuff, yeah. and moving it like a kind of gyroscope. Um, I'd love to see those videos, but it's really compelling because it all comes from, you know, official sources the pilots that you know were in the squadron with the guys that filmed that uh ryan graves and then the tic tac one there's so much contention on that and the reason that that one is so very compelling for me is and you're gonna accuse me of like name dropping or whatnot here but when i got to read the reports from the bass yearly reports and the tic tac report that they did um and the amount of work that was done on it to show, like, if this was our craft, it just doesn't work. It won't stay afloat with the propulsion that we would put in it. Um, that that stuff kind of really put an exclamation mark over it to kind of say this is very unusual. It could still be human tech that's just outside of our, you know, paradigm for now, but it's very unusual. So those two videos for me, still compiling as hell. The go fast, I wouldn't lean on in a court of law, you know? How about you? Yeah. Um... No, not really. I think the gimbal one for me more and more took place, pride of place of that's the one that I would lean on having the the real kind of solid. I think even if you saw the the go fast with the tic-tac screaming across the top of the water, even if it does like a right angle turn, cool as that would be, um, from what you hear, the gimbal has and the extra stuff and the objects in front of it. I think we always see these videos and when they're this is the clearest kind of stuff we have, right? That's official. Yeah. It's always one object. If you could see one of these videos where you had like the gimbal and then, oh, sorry, the, the the object that rotates and then the five objects in front of it, that would be, I think, very different. We always get to see one isolated object, which is probably a frustrating thing as well, as opposed to having a frame of reference, which I suppose would help folks with a knowledge to work out 
distance, speed, size, all that kind of stuff as well. That you've got, you've got context, depth, and whatever that might work out as. So yeah, a little bit frustrating, but no, yeah. I, that, not for me. I'd like to see more though. I think we're, we're due some other stuff, and that would be on my wish list for twenty twenty four. We're we're very much not like. You know, we don't think that everything that the DOD releases that they say is prosaic is a UFO. We'll take onto uh, into account the you know the the prosaic explanations before kind of you know making our mind up about it, and they all remain as spinning plates of things that we can change our minds about. You know, so I, I feel like when, when we say we want more, we're not just saying oh it's 4K UFO footage from the DOD showing aliens in a cockpit or bus. Like, there's a lot more interesting stuff around it. And as someone that just likes the science as well and loves reading about the optics and the nerdy stuff, I love it when, you know, I'm reading about like, oh, this is how this looks on a FLIR cam. And it's just new to me, you know? It's a, it's a new way of yeah. looking at the world. Uh, naturally, I'd like to bring up the next one then. And it's only a part of it, which is interesting, but it's Kevin Knuth. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Can we oh. talk about uh, catastrophic disclosure for a second? Oh, yeah, yeah. So just, yeah, literally, I just wanted to read the definition because there was so much conversation around it and people guessing like, oh, catastrophic disclosure is X, it's Y. And I actually a, also missed a point on the Carl Nell one as well. So yeah, let's go. Yeah, Okay. Um, so yeah, the, it, it was just um, the actual definition of controlled disclosure and catastrophic disclosure that I wanted to read out just so listeners can, can get a handle on it. Um, so what Carl Nell means when he says catastrophic disclosure is precipitous and uncontrolled public revelations that demonstrate reality behind UAP, TUO, objects of uh, technology of unknown origin, and or NHI, in such a manner as may reasonably be assumed to cause significant societal disruption. This only means, like, that there could be a whole bunch of different scenarios that fit that, you know, China going first to make America not look like it has, you know, the power when it comes to this conversation. It could be the visitors revealing themselves and <laughs> You know, everyone running into the streets and with their yeah. hair on fire and not knowing what's happened. But yeah, that's specifically what catastrophic disclosure means. Control disclosure, which is the aim, is a disclosure implemented in accordance with benchmark-driven campaign plan, the plan that Nell showed in his presentation, that specifies mm -hmm. precise requirements for periodic review, downgrading, and declassification, as well as the exact time and specified occurrences following which every U.S. government record related to this subject may be available to specific target audiences and ultimately to the public. So that's what we're basically seeing, right? A slow rollout of making sure the relevant people know uh, what's going on in this conversation. That's kind of the five pillars, I would say, as Lou kind of read it out before. Um, on that slide, uh, that was one of the big leaks that came from the early uh, presentations. And Gary yes. Nolan, Peter Scaffish, and others had asked, please don't leak this stuff until, um, you know, everything's been, you know, there was nothing sinister behind it, but they just asked folks who'd attended not to do it, and a few folks still did. But when the, the slide leaked, that was a really big talking point, and I think some folks took it out of context a little bit. Yes. Um, just just because I think people took it as this is the government disclosure slide, as if Carnell had stood up in a conference and read out this is the plan for disclosure. And this is very much his thinking of what it could and should look like. And like you see, a kind of organized, planned, planned way that would help all the different facets kind of come together in the most kind of efficient i'm i'm kind of waffling yeah. now but no you i, I that, think you're exactly right. was yeah that that was it yeah so um 
There's lack of, and do you know what? That's probably the reason Gary Nolan was like, don't leak this stuff until we've got the videos out and they're ready because you'll take things out of context. Literally what I was going to say. It's a perfect example of why Gary was like, please wait. Let's talk about this when we have all the information and not before. And yeah, I, I yeah. see the phrase catastrophic disclosure bandied all over and it means different things in different contexts. There's an actual definition for it now. So we can yeah. work to that, you know? Some folks are like, oh, shit, this guy just took the disclosure plan out at a conference, but we can't find out what it is until January. You're like, no, that's not what he's done. Um, but it's really yes. interesting, um, and it's one that people should definitely go and check out as well. Uh, and just to make a point, these videos are anything from 15 to, to 30 minutes long. Avi Loeb goes 45, and I wonder if that's why some of the videos have to wrap up early, because uh, Avi takes full advantage yeah, of his own. But you know, credit to Avi. I've seen so many talks of Avi. And when Elena and I sat down to watch this, I was like, "Eh, you know, Avi's a skippable one. And Elena quite rightly pointed out to me like, oh, no, there might be some new stuff. Let's watch it. And just like with Kevin, Avi is over time really concisely, like really like just chipped away at his presentation to make it concise and impactful. And now you've got all the stuff where they're looking for the extrasolar objects in, in the Pacific and things like that. And it, it just makes it really interesting. So I'd recommend if someone has seen Avi speak as much as we have and is thinking about passing on that one, don't watch it. It's incredible. And there's probably good reason that Gary Nolan, Peter Scaffish have, have chosen Avi to go first as well. So Absolutely. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a compliment. Um, so I mentioned we're talking about UAP, how they move and whatnot. Kevin Knuth, uh, he shared a, a, a presentation called Physics of UAP. And he shared an encounter, Dan, from February 1987, where a USO, unidentified submerged object, uh, as a case is reported to have turned a New Zealand Navy ship off. Um, the USO reportedly was 800 feet long and 150 feet wide. Uh, that's a hell of a size. Um, it, yeah, very, yeah. yeah. <laughs> U-matron. Um, but yeah. Tried to Taylor Swift it by shaking it off, and hopefully the algorithm picks up. I said Taylor Swift there. Hi to all the Swifties who are now listening. Um, Super Bowl. Yeah. Let's throw that in as well. Oh yeah, God. Um, yeah. So the object, the ship tries to literally outmaneuver this thing, and it just it just holds course the whole way. Um, essentially, interesting case. There wasn't a, lot, a whole lot more around it, but U- USOs is something I'd like to see and hear more about this year. Um, Someone who was on the podcast last year told me they were writing a book that was largely based on USOs, and I can't remember if they said they, it was off-air or on-air, so I wouldn't say their name, but pretty pretty big name in UFOs that people would read. So, um, yeah, we, that we would also be have to see and hear more of. Tim Galladay, he's really pushing the USO thing because yes. he comes from the yep. NOAA. He's proposed a project to all of the department heads because he knows them from his work. You know, he was really high up. And they've all said, yeah, we'd love to do this. We'd love to help you study this. Uh, this year is the year where they're trying to turn that from an idea into reality and they can apply their senses to this problem. It's really exciting to think about USOs. And, you know, the one time I got to speak to Grush, I asked him if uh, if there was some USO stuff coming out. And uh, and I was told yes. Um, so hopefully we'll be seeing that this year. Yeah, um, the USO stuff, as has been mentioned by many folks, the the tracking of them is more difficult, isn't it? Because they're underwater, so they can't see them. You know, it's yes. not like that a pilot can see something fucking ten miles away in the in the air. You know, it's they're very much limited to to immediate immediately what's in front of them depending on conditions various different sensor systems and limitations on those as well 
the water is the bodies of water are huge so yeah for me it's, it's something that's very much like on the radar you know no pun intended uh, for, <laughs> I, for hopefully this year hearing more of I, I forgot to commend you on an earlier pun by the way when you said you were talking about the schumer amendment and then you said it roundly was summarized and it's the schumer rounds amendment so i was like that's a that's a good pun i forgot to say though credit where it's due <laughs> i can't take credit for that one being deliberate either <laughs> but thank you uh i might go back and do that um but yeah so kevin Knuth, uh, really interesting talking about the physics of it and just very quickly dan before we go i'm going to ask you for some of yours and i've still got gary nolan to talk about as well but i, I don't know if you're going to bring up his you're looking here at uh, again some of the talks titles so avi loeb frontiers of interstellar objects beatrice Vieira ruel uh multiple transients in the search for at probes you've got kevin knuth physics of uap you've got you know genuine scientific problems anthropomorphism and ontology uh canadian government stance i'm just picking through some of them uh potential consequences of disclosure paradoxical thoughts on the ufo phenomenon from a historian of religions this isn't just a whole lot of folks standing up and going, do you know what? Here's my talk on the Black Knight satellite. Sorry yeah. to throw that one in there. No, it's or, true. you know, some really random abduction experience from the 80s in Wiltshire in the UK. No offense to that, but this is this is really high-level, big stuff that I don't think is necessarily aimed, and I don't think it was ever advertised to be, this is for the UFO community, and mm-hmm. we want people attending these and buying tickets and T-shirts and whatnot. Um, I say that the next one, you know, watch out for ticket stalls and t-shirt stands. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, it, this was aimed at academics and like-minded folks where they're saying, look, let's get together on this. Many of these folks, I think, came out and said they had never met personally or face-to-face and finally got to sit at the same tables as each other and make new connections, agree to work on projects together. Some folks who, who weren't kind of named that were there or pe- people wouldn't even know, I don't know, got to kind of turn up at these things and shake hands and say i'm x y and z so strange name i know but yeah it's nice to meet you and i'd be interested in working on this yeah this is triplets Uh, (laughs) interested in finding out more about what you're saying there were investors there uh i I know one or two folks who who are just listeners who um were interested in potentially backing some from projects and stuff if they could or giving expertise that was the point of this and i think that comes across in the breadth of the talks and what they were for and i like the fact that no one went like two hours you know it wasn't like here's a two-hour presentation yeah it, it was all very digestible you know the the production value was great as i said but like imagine imagine if we didn't have any ufo conferences whatsoever and this was the first one this is how i'm kind of looking at it you know the yeah. the bar is high it's a serious discussion there is no one wearing big green alien heads and you know ears and things yeah. like that this is for scientists and watching it made me think that it's probably the closest thing we've ever gotten to what an actual disclosure event would look like a breadth of people you know we had paul thigpen a religious scholar diana Pasolko. Mm. then you've got uh you, you know head of astronomy at harvard uh avi loeb and they, there are so many like different parts coming together to present this you know philosophy official government comment that I couldn't help but feel, you, you know, like raise the bar a little bit on this. And this this is what an event would look like if they said, okay, everyone be around your TVs at 8 p.m. on Wednesday. There's a crazy announcement coming and it's due with aliens. We'd get, you know, a poet laureate opening to mark the occasion. We'd get philosophers, religious scholars, scientists. Um, usher and, at halftime. Usher at halftime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it would just be, it would be really interesting. But yeah, like prop props, I don't think that there could be a 
from my point of view anyway, a bigger compliment than than that to say, you, you know, well done, guys. You shook off the stigma and presented something that looked very serious, that hit the mark, that seemed to have attracted the right people and ha- has made some waves. Um, yeah, it's really cool. And there was a, a, a really cool sync as well with Kevin Knuth's talk where he, he put up a slide showing that um, there were kind of like ripples coming out of UAP. Um, and, you know, it looked like a, if you imagine the bit in Jurassic Park with the ripples going over the top of the water cup um, as the T-Rex is walking, it, it kind of looked like that. So Kevin puts that, you know, the videos go out. We've been waiting for ages. So it turns out uh, Graham Rendell has a new book out called uh, Chasing Shadows about UAP I am uh, encounters. Yeah, he's, he's a machine. And uh, Olaf and I did the cover for it. But one of the things that we decided on really early on, and this was, what, like five, six months ago, uh, was that the UAP in the picture was going to have these ripples coming off it. Um, So it was really weird to, you know, release that and Kevin Knuth to put that up the same day. Let's hand over to you, Dan, then for any presentations that stood out and and any comments on them. Yeah, so um, I'll just kind of run through my notes. I won't go into too much detail. I, I loved Beatriz's presentation about the transients in the 50s. I think that's a really cool idea. Um, it's actionable as well, you know, like Beatrice is proposing to put uh, camera systems up that can track and identify anomalies and those will be in the atmosphere flowing through space. This is a great idea. Why not? You, you know, like we should absolutely do that. And here in this week with the, you know, the maybe security alert to do with Russia activities in space to do with nuclear yeah. weapons, uh, this would help that. So this is one of those things that probably the capabilities there already. But proposing it publicly and getting a few funders, yeah, sure. Let's chuck up a couple of sat, you know, small satellites and, and just have something there. That kind of crosses over with Avi Loeb's thing about having satellites in orbit that could have imaged a Muamua. And then no one needs to argue about the data for a Muamua. They could have just seen where it was straight off the bat, mm-hmm. right? Um yeah. those those I really love because they're actionable and and Avi is his his presentation just it blew my mind a little bit. We've watched it go along. We've watched his proposal, his book come out, Galileo project being proposed, the sensor systems be built and rolled out, and now this exhibition in the Pacific. And it, it just bowled me over seeing it presented like that because this is a guy who could have completely tanked his career with mm. saying he was going to look at this subject, but he hasn't. And he's looked at it in a completely practical way. He's partnered with people who are just as curious about the universe as he is. And he always says, I don't think I'm going to solve this, but I want to enable the curiosity in the next generation who will solve it. And maybe the people after that, that's the important thing for Abby. And I just want to echo that, that that curiosity is so important in science. And I love that he stokes that fire in people. Nolan's talk was incredible. He he spoke about analyzing UAP material in the same way as they analyze cancers, i.e. looking at the molecules um, yeah. of the material. Early on, they were looking and you could kind of get a, a scan of you know, the general positions and general material. But now they're to the point where they can read materials at an atomic level. So they scan this material and they can see like if it's layered or whatnot, but in almost uh, a replication of every atom that's in that material, which is insane when you think about it. Imagine doing that to your body and seeing all the diseases and stuff like that in it. Some really crazy technology being applied to this stuff. 
But, See on that, just because uh-huh. I had a note on the, he talks about the Lonnie Zamora case, yes. 1964, uh, New Mexico, um, and the piece they were looking at, he says, it's clearly engineered, it's the contaminants that interest him, I'm not clever enough to go into the details on, on why that's important, but he says, under a microscope, everything looks alien, but then it's a long, rigorous study process, Yes, and then he also mentions, and I think this is kind of obvious when you think about it, but people like me don't. Um, and I'm sure most folk don't, but it's not like you go, you send a piece of something to a lab and go test this to find out if it's alien. Well, it's yeah, it's made up of you know whatever it's made up of. But then they might do testing that takes two months in one piece of equipment, but then they have to do follow up testing. But that requires another piece of equipment that's based in a different continent. Yep. They then have to send the piece potentially there. Then it could come up with results that mean nothing on their own. They have to then yep. cross reference those. With, and that's it's not like is it alien? Yes or no? It's just a piece of something. Precisely a lot of time. The problem with the mummies, right? Like the mummies. Oh, we've scanned them and it says unknown. Unknown doesn't mean alien. You'd have to yeah. see these things getting in the ships and going back to their planet. Like I, I always ask people in when when I talk about that stuff, is what well, was was the what is the bit of evidence that in the scans yeah. that show that they're alien? They could be earthbound. Like there's nothing that says that they're alien, and and we need to remember that. And and Gary goes into a lot of effort and detail explaining the data is data you can't make conclusions it's just information and they can inform ideas but you need to test those ideas as you go down that road and like you said it takes months to do so you're not going to just send someone like gary a piece of this material and in two days get back like yes it's from zeta reticuli that's not how this works what i love about this talk and again actionable science right gary announced the start in the stardust repository um that will standardize testing for academics and the public for these kind of things will share the data will establish what equipment can be used and where based on scientists own time because gary's work so far cost about 40 grand um mm-hmm. to, to scan that sakura material um so yeah through gifts and grants and just time donated that's how this stuff will be studied and, and, and to you know make what? the data scared. available He's not scared to ask for help. He does say, no. like you mentioned, funded by gifts or grants. And he yep. says, you know, help us. Yep. That He is talking directly to the folks at that conference. Or if anyone's watching online, he's not looking for someone to say, I'm willing to give you $10, you know. And that's mm-hmm. that's no shame on any of us who are like, you know, there's £10, $10, 10 euros, and that's a lot of money to us. He's looking for folks who have thousands to potentially help set up and get things off the ground and running. Yep. Um, that's where this needs to go for this kind of stuff at a big, big level. And, you know, you would hope your Bigelow's or Brandon Fugles, people like that would, would hopefully help out and get involved. Like, where's the person have money? running Enigma? Like, the, the financial records for Enigma, the company, like the UFO reporting app, shows millions being poured into this thing and that it's just not catching on. Put the money here. Like this is this is such a helpful place, and you know maybe they don't have the money to spend around, but you know literal millions into yeah. like saying oh yeah report a light in the sky really important, but this would be is it of equal importance you know like you say there are plenty of people out there with money let let's let's get this going you know, yeah. um so yeah I, lo- I absolutely love that one and the way Gary explained it all very inspiring, um Valet's talk was incredible um I won't go too much into it but the one thing that stood out to me here was. Um, Raytheon's communication with the Department of Defense about the FLIR video. Um, and Valet recounts that they sent a message to the DoD saying, uh, remember, we didn't sell you a UFO sensor. We sent you a heat sensor to track engine signatures on enemy aircraft. Mm-hmm. So this shows 
it, it highlights that we don't have sensors that are created to track UAP. Yeah. We're playing with non-scientific instruments, weapons of war, to pick up this information that we want to study. They're not good enough. We need better sensors. We need these projects. And Arrow has said that you know they designed a sensor and they wanted to deploy it to different areas and so on and so forth. I'd love to hear more about that, and I'd love to have that accessible to to more people that can you know feed into a database. I think that'd be really great. Again, actionable, right? It's not just wishy washy. Yeah. There might be a blacklight satellite. It's well, I'm sorry to keep banging on the blacklight no, no. satellite. There are so many other things, but you can do something with this. This is give us money, and this is how we will spend it. You, you know, this isn't just yeah. talking. I could run about with my MacBook making a movie, filming a movie, scene by scene, but is it the most efficient way to do it? No. Are there better bits of equipment? Yes. Should yes. I have used those? Yes. Will it make my job easier? Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and you might just not have access to those yet, but if someone exactly. offers yeah. access and says, hey, I can help and I can do this, then great, cool. There's a team that you can reach higher than either person could have on their own, right? And, and that's what we're kind of going for. Um, yeah. Diana Pasolka's talk, as always, was wonderful. Religious scholar speaks about the the Vatican. I felt like it was a bit torn that she wanted to go into more spiritual stuff, but didn't really feel like there was a place for it. Um, and and limited time. That's limited one of those time 29 as well. Twenty nine minutes it goes. And yeah. This this was the point as well where all of the lectures started referencing each other. So you kind of have to watch them in order, and and you know they'll Diana will say about Ballet's lecture and so on and so forth. So so they all inform each other. After that came um, Hal's. Um, you know, when, whenever I see Hal talk, um, I, I think, you know, help, I need somebody like I, Hal needs to be more present and more vocal. Uh, he, he brought up something really controversial. Um, and as controversial as it is, I'm re- I really appreciate that he spoke about it, you, you know, as annoying as it is that it happened. And what happened was this. He relayed that many moons ago, he was inv- invited to a secret meeting uh, by a CEO to a disclosure conference think tank in Washington, D.C. At that think tank, they were given each kind of subject of the world. So we're like, we're, we're looking at things like society and economy and religion and you know all mm-hmm. these different facets of society. And they were tasked with looking at the effects of disclosure on those specific parts of society. Now, it was an issue that that was secret for some people, but something else that comes into it is that all people present decided that it was too risky to embark on disclosure and that this stuff should be kept under wraps. It's really curious to see how say that, right? Because, uh, like I said, we've had COVID in recent years and we've seen how people react to these, you know, kind of really small changes that society is a lot more fragile than yeah. a lot of us think it is. Um, and, I, I, w- I would, one, love to hear who was there, and two, love to hear their reasoning. I don't think it would be that objectionable. We've heard before people like Tom DeLong and stuff say, this is really scary reveal when it's revealed. Lou said about being somber, you know. Um, but this Lou Elizondo. The, Lou Elizondo, sorry, yeah. But this is the first time we, we've heard that there were think tanks discussing disclosure. What isn't established is whether whether this actually informed a rollout plan or whether it was just thinking, you you know? Um, So fair enough if people are mad about it, but at the same time, this stuff has to be explored and I'm glad that they're exploring it because just to run out and just tell everyone and not care about the consequences would be catastrophic disclosure. Like control it, just 
slow can, roll, can, think about it, we get to do it once. <laughs> yeah, you can make all the YouTube videos you want and X posts and Reddit threads and stuff saying, yeah, we are ready for disclosure. Tell us all the truth. We can handle it. No one knows that. No. It's 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 too big. A, it's not just, okay, there's aliens. It affects too much. Look how small changes like you mentioned dan in society not even something as big as what covid was but smaller changes how big they how massively they affect society to then something like that that affects technology money around the planet you know religious ideals not even people who are religious but just folks own mental states what that would do to it yeah it's not just as easy as announcement wednesday like you say aliens are here and, and without mentioning names, you know, there, there was a, if, if you're in the UFO community and you watch all the channels and stuff like that, there was a much beloved person this week that had some trouble kind of passing disclosure on what that means and things like that. So there are very real examples of people that are into this subject who are open-minded and very reasonable, intelligent folks just losing themselves a bit. Um, and I think it's just important to, to remember, you know, we can go into these ethereal spaces and talk about these crazy possibilities and these paradigm shifting things, but we kind of, we have to come back home and discuss it again. You know, we have to discuss it like, with each other again. Yeah. And otherwise it's worthless, right? We just all lose our minds in a vacuum. Yeah. But it's, I've said before, everyone's in this for different reasons or, mm-hmm. or, or stuff. And some people, whether they know it or not, are probably, and this is just my opinion, they're in this because they like that little part of the subject where, yeah, let's get it all out. And they love the debate and the conversation around that and almost this thing that probably won't ever happen the way they want it to. And they like the tribe around that that's that whole yeah. tribalism and any part of society where you find your clique you find your tribe it's a psychological thing isn't it finding yeah. your tribe and yeah, people they, they gravitate towards a group of like-minded thinkers and yeah we are all in this together there's you know safety in numbers it's an online thing it's a social thing and yeah it's not right it's not wrong but it is what it is and like you say d- disclosures around the corner as it as it's like a is it a supposition if you know that schrodinger's cat thing sure it is both around the corner and is not around the corner <laughs> you know it's schrodinger's disclosure i love it that's yeah a, schrodinger's great. disclosure yeah there's your next t-shirt dan schrodinger's disclosure. <laughs> it's a ufo in a box the ufo is both inside and also outside the box at the same I, time I think that might be a really good way to describe this period of time in the ufo community actually because some yeah. people think disclosures happen something is process something that it's ahead of us schrodinger's disclosure that's Do you know that's what, what you need are. you need like a prolific, I wouldn't name anyone, what's the point? You need like a, a really prolific and well thought of UFO social Twitter member looking into a box and like Mick West looking into a box and <laughs> Mick West saying there's no UFO in the box and the other person saying there is. And it's like, that's a, yeah, there we go. Hmm. Um, hmm. I'll think on the yeah. I'll, I'll If, if uh, to anyone listening or watching, if I manage to get it done before this goes up, I'll link it in the comments. If not, it'll be on my social media. <laughs> Something will come yeah. from it. Um, um, I wanted to highlight, we so we did a roundtable and we talked about terms that were going to become important. It hasn't really caught on, but I feel like um, I, I suggested technologies of unknown origin. And this was done before I suggested it, but it plays a big part in these conference videos. So a lot of people speak about technology of unknown origin. Nell alludes to it as a, as a kind of acronym that's going to become important. So uh, yeah, I, I thought that was fun. Um, Larry Maguire talking about Canadian... Uh, UAP stuff was amazing. Again, proper call to action there for activism. And I'm just going to shout out UAPcaucus.com. That's UAPCA, 
UCUS.com. Um, run by Lester Nair, who you spoke to this week, and that interview's up on the channel. Lester's great, so professional. He's completely like made the process of UAP activism slick, goal-orientated, completely focused it up so we're not all just flailing in our different areas. Uh, Nick Gold has done a similar thing um, with another UAP activist website. So go look at those websites. Like This is where you can con contact your senators. All the templates are there for you. All the things to talk about to them are there for you. All those things to expect for the coming year in politics and UAP are all there for you. So, so really go look at that. Um, then, so Nell's next in my notes, so I'm not going to read that again. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I think, wait, have we covered everything there? Paul Thigpen, I really liked, I just wanted to touch on him then to, to finish. He speaks about religion and its approach to UFOs, um, something he spoke about with you when he was on the channel. And also here, it speaks about the how people can often conflate UFOs and religion, and mm -hmm. that he feels that things like, you know, I'd say, Ezekiel's wheel, to me, the description of wheels and wheels and uh, covered with eyes and eyes, um, that to me sounds like a UFO sighting. Paul thinks that those things should be kept separate and it feels yep. very passionately about that because of the way that he sees them. I thought it was a really, uh, the, the way that he communicated that uh, was full of humility and, and compassion. And, and I thought that was a really interesting conversation, same with when he was on talking to you. So people should go watch that and, and just think about our place in the universe and how, uh, religion will be affected by this and not just catholicism because he does allude to other religions and things like that i thought that was really cool of him so yeah that, that might be one that people don't necessarily gravitate towards because it's just like oh it's just religion and catholicism and ufos but like watch it this is this is kind of almost a discussion of what it means to be human with uap which we hear come up a lot and, and is a really fascinating conversation um, then just to finish up, I just wanted to mention that um, a few of Carl Nell's slides during his presentation, they went up to 20 after the presentation was released. The New Paradigm Institute, run by uh, Stephen Bassett and Danny Sheehan, the lawyer that's helping the UAP movement, um, they posted and then deleted a few more slides of from Carl Nell's presentation of, I think it was like page 35 or something like that. So there, one suggests there's a much longer presentation from Carl Nell that I really want to see. But also two, the two things that were on the slides that they posted were really interesting. One was uh, titled Proposed Tax Taxonomy of UAP Origin Hypothesis. And that literally- I, I haven't seen these by the way. Oh, have you not? Uh, I'll, I'll send these to you and I'll upload them so we can link them in the comments for people. Yeah, yeah, Because cool. one of them is literally- um, I'll hold it up on screen here just so people can see all the, every single square there is a different possibility of what UAP could be. Everything from ultraterrestrials to ET to prosaic to everything else. So that's a really interesting one to read. And then the other slide they put up is talking about replacing the Kardashev scale. The Kardashev scale is a way to measure civilizations by the power they consume. So for us, we're less than a one on the Kardashev scale. We're still generating energy from fossil fuels. Once we completely go to solar power, then we kind of become a you know a number one on the Kardashev scale because we're tapping into the power of our local star. When we can do that in massive ways, it becomes like a number two, and it just keeps going up until you can tap into the power of the galaxy that you're in and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so this is just a proposal to change that because the Kardashev scale, as good as it is, it's all dictated by the power use and that doesn't necessarily describe, you know, we can look at humanity and we don't get a really good picture 
of it through understanding how much power humanity consumes. There's such a broad range of different, uh, you know, different countries during different centuries and sorry, different decades and things like that, different levels of technological prowess and development and social ideas. And so, yeah, it's just not a good enough scale. So what Carl is proposing that it's replaced with is something called the universal civilization development model, which has three axes. One axis is um, the energy density scale. So that's similar to the Kardashev thing. But in addition to that, it also talks about the physics of information and the knowledge of that that society has accumulated. So you'd need that to understand where the civilization was and how intelligent it was. And also not just looking at what they have and what they know, but also who they are. So looking at a full range of evolutionary biology and the chemical basis for life. So all those three things combined should in Carnell's eyes, give us a solid definition for being able to go, that's intelligent life, instead of finding that, you know, we're back where the Viking Mars lander was when we were like, is that life? We don't know. We didn't talk about what it would look like. We're stuff. Mm. We kind of have to put it on the shelf and go again in, in you know, 50 years. But they, they were two really interesting uh, slides, and I, I wish we had the rest, to be honest. All in, wonderful event. People should go and check out the videos. Um, I appreciate, I, I'm very much against anyone ripping videos from other people's work and uploading it as their own. Dan's not done that, but Dan, you've put the playlist on which links to yes. the Saul videos and it's in chronological order, which yes. is what I've used. Um, so Purely it's not like, because they reference each other. So I was like, yeah, I need to uh-huh. watch these in order. Yeah, no, I wanted to do the same because when you go on the site, the Grush closing remarks was the first video for me on YouTube. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I liked that it was on there. So I'll stick that link in the description as well for cool, people cool. To, to go through them. And it's not linking to Dan's stuff, it's linking to Sol Foundation. It's yes. just Dan's made a playlist of the videos so they're in Precisely. the right order, which is helpful for And I wouldn't like be surprised if they just make a playlist on the Sol channel as well. They welcome no, no. to just, you know, but it's yeah. there in case anyone wants it, that's all. Absolutely. Um, and uh, hopefully they've got another one coming up later on this year. I think they want to make it an annual thing, at least in the short term. Um, so that would be good. Uh, potentially bigger venue, uh, more folks at it. And the conversation and setting could look very different in seven, eight months time to, to what yeah. it does now. So that would be interesting to see it- what kind of comes of that. The next one will give a really good idea of the impact this one had as well. You know, is it going to draw a lot of media attention and stuff now because it's kind of trickled out and the second one will be bigger? We'll see. Anyone you would want to see at it, Dan? You. Lou Elizondo. Uh, Lou, Lou, it was reported um, that Lou was in D.C. this week talking to some people. Um, yeah, and at the Conservative Opportunity Society Breakfast with uh, Representative Ralph Norman, Dan. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So um, I guess you've got some notes on that, so I won't go into that. Just yet and spoil it. But I'd love That's to see right. Lou there just because he's talking a little bit more now because other people have said things that he couldn't say before so he can now talk about these things and brief people and and i think lou being the person that you know kicked all this off in 2017 with mellon and the new york times i think it would be great to almost kind of see a retrospective and and a leadership from him because you know much as lou would say i'm not the leader of this he he did a lot to to lead the charge and and that to me describes a, a leader so did bob lazar dan we disagree with that. Well, no, that? I, I, well, I, that? I know what you mean. Um, so yeah, some other news points you mentioned. Lou Elizondo, uh, it was on Ask a Paul, so Matt Laszlo's organisation. Uh, it was in town for the Conservative Opportunity Society breakfast. I've got no idea what that is. Don't particularly care. Um, so don't have to go at me. Um, ref- Free breakfast, ref- that's all it is. Yeah. I, I'd go for that. 
yeah, breakfast buffet. Um, Eric Burleson told Askapol, uh, those guys, from what they presented, of course, this is not in a secure setting. They're not under oath. But what they presented is very similar to what David Grush was presenting. Uh, and Askapol's put on here, bonus intrigue. I'm working on it right now. I've got something up my sleeve. I don't want to talk. I'll keep you informed because I've got a big thing I'm going to announce. So, yeah. They, they might have been maybe. a little clue. Uh, they also spoke to Representative Ralph Norman, who, who spoke mentioned it was to do with all the, you know, there's a bit of hubbub in the US about a classified briefing and stuff like that this week to do with Russia and space. And it all asked Paul, Matt, Laszlo grabbed uh, these guys as they were coming out of the skiff and asked them about it. Um, and uh, Rep Norman said, it's been portrayed by the media as crazies that are identifying unidentified flying objects, but it's not. Norman exclusively told Askapol. He's been doing this some 30 years. That's referring to Lou Elizondo. He's a combat veteran, very qualified. I'm going to have him back. In fact, we might open it up. Everybody, you're all to know it. Everybody should. And then he says, I heard he corroborated, oh, sorry, Matt says, I heard he corroborated what the whistleblower David Grush testified to this summer, to which Norman responds, absolutely, yes. So it sounds like to me that what they might be planning is another hearing with Lou being present, being able to talk about this and his experience to to the American people openly, you, you know, again, there will probably be a lot of I can only talk about that in a classified setting, yeah. but this is this is information that these people are required to know. In my opinion, like it yeah. would be very handy for them to speak to Lou. Lou spoke about kicking down the door and knowing what door to kick down alluding to the fact that he knew where the legacy programs were. Russia said that as well. So the more people kind of pointed to these places and pointing these things out to, to these officials, the more these officials are going to feel determined to get to the bottom of it. So yeah, fingers crossed. Um, I'll, I'll still stick by. We need more than the same names to come forward though. Totally. Agree. And say the same things in that setting or not. And that includes Lou and I'm sure Lou Elizondo would say the same thing. We need more David Grushies to come out the woodwork in and he said it, and she said it, and he said it. At groups of people coming out, you know, the four of those, they, they worked with this pro... That's what's going to really push things forward, I think. Um, what what do you think with... So we had two two reports kind of saying who was with Lou. In Askapol, uh, they reported that Lou was there with two pilots, one who's a veteran combat pilot who took pictures and a scientist. Liberation Times reports that Lou was joined by a former member of the UAPTF and decorated uniformed military officer, that's one person, a former military fighter pilot and witness to a UAP sighting, a former DARPA scientist, and a former political advisor to the Obama admin. So Elena and I all morning have kind of been thinking like, who could these people be? You know, like trying to kind of guess who it. And to, to me, former member of the UAPTF and decorated military officer, um, you know, we, we could be looking at uh, someone that ran the UEPTF back a few years back. You know, Travis Taylor mm -hmm. fits the bill. We we also could have Carl Nell be involved in that. Some colleagues yep. of Lou and Dave Grush could be present there. Yep. Um, then when it comes to the pilots, um, encountered UAP, you know, retired now. So we know that Ryan Graves was in DC as well. So probably Ryan Graves. Thought, um, yeah. Then in terms of someone who photographed it, we're referring to probably Chad Underwood or David Fravor. Um, Chad Underwood is the guy who filmed the Tic Tac that David yep. Fravor encountered. So it, they're specifying that videos, photos, I, I would say probably Chad or, you know, hopefully it would be really nice if it was one of Ryan's squad mates that we haven't heard from yep. yet who actually encountered 100%, that. Yeah. Describe. Oh, I'd love that. And then former DARPA scientist, 
Eric Davis, maybe. Um, possibly, you, you know, we know Grush and Nell and stuff have, have that in the background. It's not Grush because they would have just said Grush is there. Um, so it could or be a number of people. A and other we don't know yet. That's... A and other, yeah. Yeah. Um, former political advisor to the Obama admin. So we could be looking at Mellon. We could be looking at Podesta. We could be looking at, you know, unnamed people that we don't know that work within that administration because we don't yeah. know every single face that helps these people that we know. So <laughs> just, yeah, just wanted to get that out there a little guess who. Yeah, um, other news uh, on top of that as well. James Fox said his upcoming documentary is looking around about 85 minutes long. Um, he's hoping to have a rough cut available late March, early April. That's not for release, but that's just, you know, rough cut. Okay, here's what I think it's going to be and then polishing it off. So Can't this wait. year, that's looking like that's going to come out. And I think folks may or may not know, James Fox went through a really tough time with the finances from previous documentaries being pulled out from underneath him. Really shitty. He made no money from the uh, making a uh, moment of contact Virginia stuff. Uh, really, really poor given. Just from a, a, a paternal point of view, he was away from his kid and his wife for ages. That and sucks you know putting all that work into that and made nothing from it uh, so yeah that that's really really poor that that's actually the same company that distributed monsters of california in america as well so i'm I'm curious was to it? see if there's any issues there as well with them not getting paid i don't know maybe they only pay their super high profile clients you know well um, yeah uh-huh. but james deserves support and he's done so much for the subject and he's just gotten better and better and better over the years and i cannot wait to see what he has to present us with uh the program it's going to be called is that I think that's looking like at least a working title, yeah. But sure. if not, that's that's what it's going to be called, yeah. It's um, going to be great. And also, uh, Eric Weinstein, he's a physicist, isn't he? Uh, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. um, he has made some comments again. He's dipped in and out the UFO topic in a couple of different ways at times. Um, but a few quotes from him on a recent interview. It was, uh, I'm not clever enough to solve the UFO puzzle. There's almost no topic where I can't generate multiple explanations. This is the only topic I've ever met where I can't generate a single explanation for what the hell is going on. Nothing I can think of makes sense. And a separate quote, I thought UFOs were total nonsense. I thought this was a waste of time and I was wrong. I was just wrong. So it's there's someone I mean, who's not a UFO person, not a UFO guy. Um, yeah, talking about the subject and going, do you know what? There's, there's something in this for me. What? Super, He's super humble. Super humble yeah. dude as well, being able to say I was wrong. I wish we saw that more. He says, I don't know. I, I think, and I think Eric would say this as well. I love what Eric has to say. We can't assume he's fully informed about the subject in the same way as we all are um, in terms of what we've read through, what we've looked at. You know, we do this day in, day out. Eric is doing something else for his job. So just, you know, I've seen out there that anything that comes out of certain people's mouths is treated as gospel by people. Watch it with the deferring to authority. And I think Eric would say exactly the same thing as well because he's, you know, kind of leans that way. Um, so, yes, you know, watch this space with Eric, I guess, as as the evidence kind of comes out, he'll be comments on it openly. And it's really curious to see him pass this publicly. Yeah. And um, there's not much more for me, Dan, on that. Uh, again, uh, Bryce Sable and Ross Coulter interviewed Jeremy Corbell back in 2022. Um, little bits of the interviews have been shown on other platforms or other documentaries that have been put out. But the full hour long interview is now up and available online as well on the YouTube. So again, 
those guys are, are um, respected authority figures. Some folks love them, some folks hate them, some in the middle. Um, I've got time for all of them, and I really enjoy listening to them talk. You know, listen to everyone, make up your own mind, and I think that's an interesting, you know, threesome for those three to be together and be Phrasing. talking together. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> what it is. Uh, but yeah, th- those three to be together chatting is a little bit of a... It's not quite Chris Mellon and Linda Moulton Howe colliding, you know, two worlds meet, but it's uh, it's probably Marvel and DC getting together in that kind of way. So, yeah. Yeah, compatible, um, not as removed. That, that's interesting. And yeah, how dare they give their free time and energy and money and passion to this subject for, for nothing, you know? Um, yeah. we, we are lucky to have these people. Um, and they're all... There was an episode of Need to Know a Few a while back where Bryce and Ross were talking about uh, the election debates and whether UAP was going to come up and need to know. Sorry, News Nation had just held an election debate where UAPs didn't come up and Bryce held Ross's feet to the fire since Ross works for them. And I love that dynamic. They can be honest with yeah. each other and, and not bite each other's heads off. And, you know, I, I think I think they're a really great outlet. Is so people being allowed to disagree? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's almost like different opinions make the world go round, right? No. <laughs> it's actually yes. the old bit around the side. <laughs> the gravitational. Uh, um, Dan, you've got anything to add? Two more things. So just one, uh, the EU and UAP. Uh, Francisco Guerrero, uh, he brought the UAP to the EU Parliament, um, to the European Commission's docket. Um Francisco himself is a member of the European Parliament, and during a plenary session on the 5th of February, I want to say, um, covered various topics around space. Um, Francisco referenced the ongoing UAP-related activities in the US and told the EU it is fundamental that the EU Commission includes in the European Space Law a program to collect data on UAPs as well as a scientific body to analyze these events in a transparent and public way. That's great. Starting the ball rolling. Love that it's about the conversation there. Hopefully we'll see more. Then the only other thing is uh, the Super Bowl ads. I just wanted to mention how many ads there were at the Super Bowl this year. We had a Squarespace ad that included you know, real footage and real news um, by Martin Scorsese, of all people. Yep. We had an Apartments.com ad, Oreos, uh, Oreos, as they say in, in the US, um, Mountain Dew and CBS. And the Super Bowl always has, you know, alien ads. It's a popular subject. There were two last yep. year. I went back and checked. Um, so a year where it's relevant, it makes sense that we have more ads. But I've seen a lot of people suggest, you know, maybe this is soft disclosure. Maybe the government hired to, to you know, nudge the subjects of these adverts to be that and just have it on people's minds um you know could be that could be ad agencies picking up trends but i would say by the fact that we're talking about it and people were talking about it the advertisements were a riveting success um and hopefully we'll see some more next year but i kind of wanted to ask you on that because you've seen the advert right the scorsese one Mm -hmm. do you think people who aren't involved in this subject who don't already know about the hearings and things like that, do you think it will make an impact with them? Do you think maybe people around, hey, Andy's shaking his head vigorously right here. Do, do no. you... People saw an advert and moved on. Sure. And just thought of it as an advert because there was yep. no like little thing at the bottom saying, this is actually true. Yep. Or they went for a piss. Well, that advert played. <laughs> or, and I, I love the advert, but that's advertising. Yep, sure. it's not. When Taylor Swift's talking about it, then... And that's not a joke, you know, but I mean, it is, but it isn't. Uh, when Taylor Swift's on her Instagram or at a concert talking about aliens or UFOs, then then maybe. But an advert for Squarespace at the end of the day, 
Squarespace want to advertise their, their stuff. And they, like you say, they used a trend that was popular last year going into this year. And if it had been something else, they would have used something else. Yeah, I, I think so too. And yeah, the advert almost, you know, those adverts you see where the advert happens and then it says, you know, Mercedes or whatever. And you're just like, what the hell did that advert have to do with what you're selling? And it was one of yeah. those for me. I was like, what? Like, yeah, you've got your attention. You've got, you've made sure like, people are going to chat about it yeah. and spread it in social media. And yeah. Like there's some kind of like Game of Thrones style massacre uh, of a Viking wedding and you know it's just blood everywhere and you know food and and rats running around and at the end it's like calvin klein for men and you're like oh uh didn't didn't quite get what that 45 seconds was i've just watched but okay uh, Perfect, yeah the, the first time i saw a trailer for lost before it came out oh, yeah. i thought it was a, a perfume or aftershave advert was it the dancing one on the beach it was the beach and yes. just lots of handsome good-looking people uh, and then a plane crash, and it was really vague, I was just, wasn't it? Josh I was really Holloway looking at the camera and brooding. Yeah, savage, savage yeah. for me. <laughs> Ironically, they all I think went on to do those adverts in various they did, days. Yeah. yeah, they did. But, and yeah. I love that specific ad that you mentioned because when you've watched Lost and you go back and watch that, it kind of explains a lot of the show before they but were yeah. rolling it out. But I, yeah, I, I it was an advert. The advert and think, shit, I want to be involved in a plane crash in Desert Island, you know? <laughs> so. I was like, oh, interesting. There are many things that will make you feel that. Hey, he, here's Unless a question. I love what advertising, be... by the way. I'm big into that. So, yeah. But what... no, I don't think it'll have an impact. But go on. What would be your desert island food and music? You're allowed to take one album with you and one meal that you can repeatedly eat. What would it be? Oh, uh, Margarita Pizza. Um, and uh, album. Um, no, something stone-baked um, okay. would be nice. Uh, and nice. I'd, I'd have to say um album oasis definitely maybe probably Ooh, nice and definitely yeah. maybe for anyone that's not familiar he's not saying definitely maybe he'd take the album that's the name of the album go listen to it, it it's great it's one of the greats 30th anniversary year is it, it really was, oh god I yeah i'm being i'm being rude now if i don't ask you dan before we wrap up same question to you um cheeseburgers and i'm taking the smiley face album by blink 182 Nice, cool. Well, Dan, thank you very much for joining us. This has been a, a wonderful recap for us, at least. And if anyone else has enjoyed it, that's a bonus. Um, <laughs> so, and I just wanted to mention one more thing, Dan. This is just for the folks who are on the Discord chat. So, hello to all of you if you've made it this far. Um, Bryce Abel co-authored After Disclosure, a, no a novel with uh, a book with Richard Dolan, and I recommend folks go and check that out. Very much worth reading. So, Dan, thank you. Thank you, and thank you to everyone that listened that is all for this episode thank you very much for tuning in don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform apple and spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm if you're checking the show on youtube please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform and finally you can listen to shows ad free and sponsor free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on apple spotify just search that ufo podcast premium youtube you can sign up and be a member or you can do that through patreon.com thank you very much for listening folks it wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer more like a hubcap designed by chaucer a little baroque and quite steampunk like alice was playing bass for the parliament of the little fucker hovered right outside of my window and when i shoved out the screen he made it an issue